you don't have to include this, but you yeah. did it, Greg. You found deeper meaning in I the did. panda bear. If I put if I put my mind <laughs> into it, I can. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Avatar, the podcast. Uh, I'm going to be hosting slash summarizing slash doing, I don't know, the reading today. Me, Booster Greg. And I will always, for now, until the end of time or the podcast, whichever happens first, I'm thinking it'll be the end of the podcast first, by Acorn Bandit. Hello, you're stuck with me. I'm stuck in return. with you. And we're you're stuck with each other. We're stuck with each other. And I would not want to be stuck with anyone else on this journey. I wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, the episode we're talking about this week is Winter Solstice Part 1, The Spirit World. Or as we like to call it, Spirited Away. <laughs> you'll you'll get you'll get that once we get into the episode. It'll, it'll make sense. Before we actually dive into the episode, here are some fun things going on in the world. On the ideas side of Lego's website, there are a couple petitions to get some Avatar The Last Airbender Legos made. And there's one in particular that caught our eye. It is at 8,788 supporters Whoa. out of 10,000. And they are asking Lego to make Avatar Lego sets. It looks pretty cool. If you're into Legos and you want to support this, we'll include the link in our show description. Otherwise, you can find it on ideas.lego.com and just search for Avatar The Last Airbender. It looks really cool. I really want this Appa set. It looks so cool. He's so appa -y. I know. I don't know if these are like, like digital renditions of what it would look like, but Appa looks really cool. Yeah, so smooth, so appa, so, so airbendy. <laughs> also, we told you over the past couple episodes that if you leave a five-star review, we will read it on the show. And all the way from Germany, believe it or not, which is absolutely crazy. So um, our first five-star review that has a written review says a perfect way to revisit my favorite childhood and then it's kind of cut off. So we're going to say probably going to th assume favorite childhood show, uh, epic series, cabbage merchant. I don't know. It could be literally any of those things. <laughs> Fill in the blank. Fill in the blank here. But it's he continues to write great commentary and storytelling. I'm looking forward to the rest of the show. So, Alan, thank you so much for leaving that review all the way in Germany. Wow. Alan, this made our week when it, we read this. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And again, if you want to uh, have your thoughts and, and how much you love Avatar read here on the show, you can always email us at avatarthepodcast at gmail.com or you can leave a five star review and we will read it uh, as we recently figured out how to see everyone from the rest of the world for our reviews. So, yay. Yes. <laughs> and thank you to everyone else who's been engaging with us through um, through ratings and Twitter. We appreciate everything that we receive. So be sure we will read everything you send us and we appreciate it very much. So something I found uh, on the the internet as I was kind of doing my my usual Googling and just trying to find some some current avatar uh, articles and, and pretty much I think 
what I was doing is what everyone does, where I just literally was looking for more information on the Netflix live action series Avatar The Last Airbender. And usually there isn't anything too crazy. I didn't really find anything new or exciting. But what I did find was uh, a little bit of shade being thrown at the movie The Last Airbender, which I think we can all kind of relate to. So I found this this article on TVGuide.com, and it's it's this statement is absolutely ridiculous. Like I 100 percent, I think uh, not. I think I know I agree with it. And a lot of people do. We're looking at a statement from DiMartino uh, and. Oh, Kinetsko. Kinetsko. And they said, we can't wait to realize Aang's world as cinematically as we always imagined it to be. And, and this is the good part, that was me saying that, not them, and with a culturally appropriate non-whitewashed cast. I, like, for me, that's just, like, <laughs> jabbing into M. Night Shyamalan's, like, ribs, just being like, hey, remember when this happened on your movie? That's not going to happen in our series. And I just, yep, I love it. Yeah, they continue to say it's a once in a lifetime chance to build upon everyone's great work on the original animated series and go even deeper into the characters, story, action and world building. Netflix is wholly dedicated to manifesting our vision for this retelling. And we're incredibly grateful to be partnering with them. Mm -hmm. So that's I, I found that little quote in there. And I thought not only is it amazing that the attention to detail is going to be there that we come to expect from an adaptation coming from this camp, but also that Netflix is backing them. I mean, really, Mike and Brian are the heroes of this world. They are the ones who brought it to life. In everything that I've read about the early stages of production and all of the steps they took to realize this world, I have nothing but the greatest respect for them. Mm -hmm. Um, they put so much intention and time and were very thoughtful about all of the decisions that they made. So um, I am so excited for them to further realize their creation in a cinematic way. And also to their point, the way that it should have been or the way that it needs to be. Um, You can believe dear listeners, we are going to be doing a podcast episode on the movie. And we'll be talking about all of the things that worked and didn't work in Shyamalan's adaptation. Um, so hopefully we'll be able to get to that before the show comes out. I know they announced it a couple of years ago. Is there a release date in that article, Greg? I didn't see anything. I didn't see anything that would like make me go crazy, crazy. They, so the it was only started production in early 2020. Okay, so we still have some time. Yeah, they, they did say that like, you know, everything that's going on with uh, the pandemic is kind of... Uh, shutting down and slowing down process on that. So mm-hmm. maybe we'll be able to get through all of the animated series before this comes out, which would be really cool, but may- maybe not. <laughs> it's like for me, it's bittersweet because I want to watch it as soon as possible. But then I also mm-hmm. want to like, I don't know, watch it after watching the animated series again. And I've been I'm like dedicated to not go further than we are together on this journey. Yes. Same. So, so that's, it's kind of like a double-edged sword for me, but, um, oh, oh, some, there is some news though. Uh, real quick, uh, composer Jeremy Zuckerman is going, is confirmed to be coming back to compose the music 
for the series. Oh my god! Which really? is amazing. Yes, yes. So that's that's incredible. That's a game changer because yes. one of the best things about Avatar: The Last Airbender, aside from all of the other good things, mm-hmm. is the music. The music will evoke so many emotions in me. I cannot tell you how many times I cry yes. at this show, mostly because of the music. Oh yeah. Well, it, the music sets the tone, and there's two different ways to look at music from a, I guess, a consumer standpoint or someone who's enjoying the the material. It's either jarring and takes you out of the experience and you hate it, or actually three different ways, or it completely uh, allows you to be immersed into it on a level where you can even like kind of tap along to the song. Or there's me who I get so immersed in the world that the music and the series and everything become intertwined and I can't distinguish from one from the other when I'm thinking mm-hmm. about it. And for me, that is like the perfect soundtrack because you do yeah. have great things like Duel of the Fates from Star Wars, right? Which like everyone knows that like it's very like visceral and you can like literally sing almost any lyric to it if you want to. But then there's like understated composers, which I think Zuckerman really is where he um, amplifies the tone with what with his work instead of trying to overwrite it. So when you're watching it, you you don't even notice the music. Yep. It's so enhancing the scene mm-hmm. that it just becomes one with the scene. Well, like look at what we're talking about with um, the, the King of Amashu. Yeah. Where he, they use that like subtle carnival music that you don't need. Like I didn't even pick up the first go around. It took like it was the second or third time that I heard it and it made it like a very like connection. It's like, oh, this is very different. Why is this different? And then it leads you down this road, which is really cool. Yeah. So that is like it's awesome. They got um, Zuckerman confirmed on the live action series. It just really like further, I think, not soothes, but for lack of a better term, just like like calms me down and i'm like okay this is in the right hands it's in good hands we're fine i think we're all (laughs) our knee-jerk reaction for anything live action for avatar the last airbender is just like no but we've been burned before i feel like we're okay everyone i feel like we're okay (laughs) so with all of that being said i think we should jump into the jump into the episode yes let's do it this episode was uh, directed by Lauren McMullen and was written by Aaron Ehaz. We begin the episode by joining Team Avatar, riding Appa through a clear blue sky. Katara comments on how soft the clouds look and dreams about what might happen if she were to fall into them. Sokka jokingly replies, maybe you should give it a try. To which Katara comments, you're hilarious. Not one for missing a new opportunity, Aang yells that he'll try it and jumps right off of Appa with his glider and disappears into the clouds, only to reappear moments later, soaking wet with the realization that clouds are, in fact, made out of water. Oh, my God. <laughs> this, this scene, like, encapsulates so much of my childhood. Who hasn't dreamed about being able to, like lounge on a cloud or play on the clouds as kids right and right. then you go to school like you know fifth grade or whatever and you learn about clouds not being uh, a physical form they mm. are made up of um particles air particles water particles so yeah i love this i love how ang basically fulfills our childhood dreams of playing on big fluffy clouds 
I, I remember when I think it was second grade science when there when my teacher was like clouds are made out of water and I was like no 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 this is water that's a big fluffy <laughs> thing in the sky that is not yeah. the same thing you can't pull a fast one on me right I said fifth grade but honestly I don't remember when I learned about clouds it was probably second I feel like it was second because full for me anyways I feel like it was like evaporation and, and kind of like the the cycle like how yeah it true. happens. Uh, not that I remember too much of it now, but that was second grade. That was so long ago. Air uses air. Aang uses airbending to dry himself off, which is another like, reminded me of a dog kind of drying himself off, which I thought was pretty yeah. funny. Katara is immediately distracted by a scar in the forest beneath them. The gang lands in the middle of the scar and Sokka comments on how quiet it is and the lack of any sign of life. Aang is visibly distraught at the condition of the forest, and Katara asks if he's okay, while Sokka finds evidence that the Fire Nation is responsible for the destruction. Because the scar is just like scorched earth. Mm-hmm. While ranting and raving about how evil the Fire Nation is, Katara shushes her brother and turns their attention to Aang, who has fallen down to his knees and wonders out loud how anyone could do such a thing and how he could have let this happen. Katara tries to comfort her friend, but Aang rejects the attempt and states that this is all his fault because he doesn't know how to be the Avatar yet. Oh, man. Aang getting depressed here about failing in his Avatar duties, um, even though he wasn't around to help, is, is such a big mood. As a recovering perfectionist, I know that so well. I can relate. Yeah. That thing... That thing that was completely out of my control, but I wasn't able to do perfectly. I'm depressed. It's all my fault. That thing I was frozen for for a hundred years in which this happened. I couldn't yeah. stop it. It's all my fault. Yeah. That that also further kind of um, solidifies Aang as his personality and his character as mm-hmm. just like you can see why he is chosen to be the avatar out of everyone to be in the world at that point. Right. Or everyone to be an airbender in the world a hundred years ago is because he has this like sense of responsibility and you Mm. know, he would never abuse that power. Aang mentions that Monkeyatso told him that avatar Roku would be the one to train him in the ways of the avatar, but is unsure how this is supposed to happen as Roku died 100 years ago, Mm. over 100 years ago. Um, something I do want to bring up really quickly as we're going through this, as I was writing the summary, this episode jumps back and forth quite a bit between different, uh, storylines. Um, so I went exactly chronological with what happened in the episode, whereas I had seen other summaries kind of like lump the two together because some events overlap others. I'm going with what the episode kind of presented to us in that order, just so everyone knows, just so there's no confusion or anything like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Prince Zuko rips his way through a bamboo patch, yelling to his uncle that they have to leave, only to find his uncle bathing in a hot spring. Zuko demands that his uncle get out and get dressed as they don't want to lose the Avatar's trail. Iroh notes that Zuko looks tired and he should join his uncle in the hot springs and soak away his troubles. Zuko (laughs) is so funny. He's just like... 
he looks naked and we're not sure of that yet at this point but he's like come on in come with your uncle it's great in here the water's fine Zuko retorts that his troubles cannot be soaked away and demands his uncle get up again Iroh finally agrees and begins to stand up only revealing himself to be completely naked which we don't see anything, by the way, because it is a children's <laughs> show. But like it, it's I think it's one of the few times I read one of the fun facts where um, there's some sort of censorship going on here. Or, yeah, or like it's a, the first time. Yeah, like a, like a clever kind of like thing in the way, essentially. Zuko stops him before he can fully get out of the spring and tells him to take another few minutes and then get ready. But the ship is leaving in a half an hour with or without Iroh. Who's the adult in this situation? <laughs> it's so like, it's like, I always feel like Iroh is teaching Zuko how to be his age or not. Like, yeah, he's trying to teach Zuko how to be a teenager and Zuko right. wants no part of it. Yeah. I mean, in our first episode, we talked about how Katara mentions to Aang she hasn't had this much fun when she, since she was a kid and Aang's like, you're still a kid. I feel like there's a lot of teaching going on in this show to help remind the young characters that it's okay to be, to be young, to be a kid, to have fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's very interesting too, that people who were kids in a different generation are trying to keep teach this generation of kids to be kids. Cause if you think about it, like Aang is a kid himself, right? Yeah, true. But he was a hundred years ago, a kid as well. And uncle Iroh is definitely from a different generation. Not quite. He's not definitely, he's not as old as Aang is, but He's mm-hmm. probably what, thirty years younger, maybe forty. Yeah, probably. He's probably in his range. Like, maybe even fifty. I I was trying to do this on this episode too. I was trying to pinpoint Ira's age exactly without looking at any other like source materials. Just trying to like figure it out based off of his brother and his nephew. Mm. And I feel like Ira is just a lot older than everyone else. Period. Yeah, he is. And I'm not seeing anything definitive on how old he is. Yeah. So I guess we have to just kind of guess here. Um, yeah, but I mean, to your point, we also talked about in a previous episode how um, the kid generation of this world is growing up in the midst of a war. And so they've had to grow up very quickly in reaction to yep. that. Similar to the the generation of kids who grew up during World War II. Yeah. And so I think because of that, we see a lot of these themes of responsibility and um, that drive to accomplish things, to protect people, to stay safe. Uh, so these these scenes where other characters um, either, well, actually, other characters, usually older, because mm-hmm. technically Aang is 112 years old yep. and Iroh is in his, I don't know, 60s or something. Yeah. They're teaching them to just, you know, relax, take a second enjoy life um there's actually a note that i wanted to bring up here because during one of the early development meetings aaron aaron he has who we just talked about who's the head writer of avatar um it was his idea to describe iroh as a guy who is just trying to enjoy his retirement but he gets stuck watching his nephew So we really see that here with iroh relaxing in the hot spring and zuko impatiently pushing him to get moving yeah yeah, I can see that. But I always feel like I don't think based on his actions, Iroh thinks he's stuck with Zuko. He's always trying to teach him things. Like if he thought he was stuck with Zuko, he would not be having these like memorable training moments with him. Like 
um, yes. in the Agni Kai, for example, we, he would just be like, I feel like he would just be a weekend at Bernie's, except he's not dead. He's just like <laughs> sleeping the whole time. Yeah. Well, also they were expecting Iroh to be um, Zuko's firebending mentor and not his uncle. So I can Fair. see how in the early developments they were saying like, yeah, Iroh, this mentor is just trying to enjoy his retirement. Then he gets stuck with his pupil. Yeah. Um, and is like forced to watch over him. But yeah, I love how it's evolved from there into this uncle nephew dynamic where the uncle is trying to impart his wisdom on his impatient nephew. Yeah, I, I had a thought too with, I would say visual age difference between Iroh and um, the Fire Lord, where I wonder, because visually there appears to be quite a generation gap or an age gap between say, the two. Yeah, I'd say Ozai like 10 years, yeah, if so I can guess. I'm wondering if, uh, if Iroh blames himself for how Ozai turned out and is trying to redeem himself with Zuko. Mm -hmm. Either, either we've talked about that specific point before, or I came across something that essentially said that, yeah. that there's a part of Iroh that feels like he's partly responsible for the way that his brother turned out and that he's dedicated himself to Zuko to teach him and guide him through these uh, feelings of anger that Ozai once showed. Yeah. But like, I feel like it's like, it is like a sense of responsibility out of like failure on Iroh's part where he's like, mm -hmm. man, I, like, I really like, for lack of a better term, screwed the pooch on this one. Let me try to redeem it. Like at least the redeem the fire nation, if not our family through this method. Cause if you mm -hmm. look at like a lot of Zuko, he is very torn between being like his uncle and being like his father. He wants to be like his father but he's naturally more like his uncle, which is really cool. Um, anyways, back to it. Iroh gets back into a comfortable position and lets out a sigh of relaxation. He gets his hands behind his head and just breathes easy. And he, you can tell from this, he has no intention of making that 30 minute deadline. <laughs> yep. Jumping back to the gang, Katara asks Aang if he's ready to be cheered up. He says no. And Katara throws an acorn at his head. It's me. It's, yeah, I, I put in the notes ACORN in all caps specifically for that. So yeah. <laughs> Katara throws ACORN Bandit at Aang. Oh my so. gosh. I'm sorry, Aang. <laughs> Aang asks, how is that supposed to cheer him up? And Sokka laughs in the back and says, it cheered me up only to have another ACORN thrown at his head. Wait, there's more of you? Yeah, I played a big part in this scene. <laughs> yes, you did. Katara states that the acorns are a good sign because each acorn has the capability to become a full-grown tree and eventually the forest will grow back and when it does, all of the birds and the animals will, will return. Suddenly, an old wandering man hobbles his way over to Team Avatar and tells them that his village desperately needs their help. Something real quick about this old man that I found. The old man's name is actually Old Wanderer. Mm -hmm. And it is actually voice acted uh, by a gentleman on, by, that goes by the name of James Shigeta. And if you like, think that name kind of sounds familiar but can't quite place it, uh, James has been in quite a few different roles. He's actually one of the few Asian-American actors to have played a big part in Hollywood films in the 1950s. He's like Whoa, one of really? the first. Yeah. Uh, he played Takaji in, in Die Hard. He also oh was gosh. General Lee in Mulan. 
and he was Taro Isoji from, I never seen Babylon five. So I hope I didn't butcher that pronunciation, but he was also in Babylon five. Those are big roles. He, he did pass away in his sleep in July of 2014. So, Oh no. Yeah. It's, okay. it's sad, but like, again, the series coming through a small throwaway. I think, I think the old wanderer has like maybe six lines in this episode, if yeah. that, and they got this, like, this this like this historical asian american actor like this guy is like that's awesome yeah he's a he was a trailblazer for asian american actors in the 1950s and that's absolutely and amazing I mean, that that kind of goes back to what we were talking about at the start of the episode um with brian and mike being so dedicated and passionate about representation and honoring different cultures and backgrounds uh, which we really see in the way they developed the world so yeah. I'm not surprised that they they either sought out or were able to obtain these kinds of actors and also George Takei, right? Yeah. Yeah, like they they're getting um uh, role models essentially yes. to be in their show and this is I think this is what people also like not what people appreciate about this series more than just like how epic it is and how great the music is and how well the characters are developed. It's the handling of all of the different classes, cultures, uh, different mm -hmm. people that make up this world. And that's what makes it so lush and so lifelike. At least I think so. Yes. Yeah, that makes me think back to what I was reading about early production. Because, you know, back in 2002, I believe, this is when Brian and Mike were, were first starting to flesh out the idea of Avatar. And at the time... Uh, Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings were really big. So Nickelodeon was looking for something to uh, kind of keep up with those huge franchises. And um, from the beginning, Brian and Mike didn't want to do something that was uh, based on British lore and wizards and magic of that kind of uh, traditional sense. So they turned to inspiration from Hong Kong cinema and myths and legends of an Asian origin as we go on, we're going to continue to see these really intentional and thoughtful nods to different cultures as we explore the world of Avatar. But that's really cool about the the Wanderer. Yes. Yeah. So that was something that um, I didn't even recognize his voice, to be honest with you. I jumped into the IMDb, as I always do for these episodes, to be like, all right, who did a voice where? And then yeah, I saw I that. I love that about you. I saw, I saw the name. Well, I love like voice actors and I love like figuring out who did what, where and like all the connections because you never know when you're going to play a game of... Um, six degrees of Kevin Bacon. So oh my you have to be able to make these connections <laughs> as quickly as possible and as most knowledgeably. Anyways, uh, I thought that was super interesting. Let's go back into it. Team Avatar follows the old man into the nearby village of Senlin and are informed yes. that the village has been in crisis. Over the past few days, the spirit monster known as Heibai, the black and white spirit, has been attacking the village. Sokka asks why the spirit has been attacking them, but they're not really sure. They also add that each time the monster attacks, it abducts a villager. And time is of the essence as the winter solstice is approaching. As the solstice grows closer, the spirit world and the real world grow closer and closer. They are unsure what will happen to the village once the winter solstice is here. So it's kind of like a, hey, we don't know what's going to happen, but this can't be good news if this is still going on by the time the solstice is here. So yeah, please help. 
<laughs> Please help. Please help. Um, help. Senlin, I found, means forest in Chinese. Interesting. Which is a logical name as the village is surrounded by a large forest. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought it was cool, too, the whole concept of the closer the winter solstice comes, the thinner uh, the veil, I guess, between the spirit world and the physical world. So eventually it gets blurred completely, but that's also why they can see Hei because typically you can't see spirits unless you're like spiritual in some very specific way, which we will see more of later. Mm-hmm. Hint. I was going to say, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, they're able to see Hei the spirit because yeah. the winter solstice is so close, but there's also that threat there because once the winter solstice passes, then everyone's lost because yeah. that veil the thinness between worlds won't be there and you can't cross back over. Right. Yeah. Aang wants to know how he can help to which the villagers reply. This is like, they pretty much just go, Aang goes, how can I help? And the villagers are like, you're the avatar help. And then Aang's like, <laughs> yeah, but how? And they're just like, this is, this is a job for you, man. Avatar, do the you. thing you do. Do the thing, please. Thank you. <laughs> it's so like, Essentially, they think this way because Avatar is supposed to be the great bridge between the main, between the man and the spirit world. So it's like, not mm-hmm. only is he supposed to be the master of all elements, but he's also supposed to like kind of balance spirits and, and mankind, essentially. So that's very interesting. Uh, I forgot about that, actually. I remember like when my first go around, there's a lot of spiritual stuff and a lot of him going into like the, the spirit realm or the spirit world. But I forgot that like that was one of his duties is just like maintaining this balance, not only in the physical world, but in, between the physical and the spirit world. Yeah. Just add that to his resume, yeah. you know, master of all four elements, yeah. the great bridge between the physical <laughs> and the spiritual worlds. It's like it's like Daenerys Targaryen. It's like, how long can we make his title? Oh, Katara pulls Aang aside and notes that he seems a little unsure of all of this. Aang agrees and admits that he doesn't know much about the spirit world. This is alarming. To Sokka and Katara and on a personal note me as well <laughs> it's like I don't know yeah. how to do any of this stuff I was the avatar for like a week and then I got frozen or or so maybe give or take some time in that week but that seemed like his his general train of thought Ang elaborates and says that there aren't any teachers on any of this stuff Ang being Ang has to still try to help the people in hopes that Whatever he needs to do will come to him in the in the moment, essentially. Katara remains the positive light and says that she knows Aang will figure it out. And then Sokka retorts, yeah, we're all going to get eaten by a spirit monster. <laughs> Thanks, Sokka. Thanks, pal. I we, love him. I love him so much, it's like especially in this episode, as we'll see a little bit later on. Yep. We rejoin Uncle Iroh back at the hot spring and he is passed out and snoring. Like, like bear level snores. It's great. So we can only assume that has been, it has been more than 30 minutes since we last saw him. Yep. He is awoken by a rustling in the bamboo forest surrounding him. He wakes up and asks, who's there? A small metal vole presents itself and Iroh breathes a little easier and picks up the small rodent and notes that the vole startled him. Iroh realizes that he misses Zuko's deadline but tells the vole that it was worth it as he had a very sweet nap, quote unquote. (laughs) And as he lets the vole go, he resumes his napping position once more. The vole jumps up and down trying to get Iroh's attention, but it is too late as the earth starts to shake and he is suddenly surrounded by earthbenders 
who recognize Iroh as the Fire Lord's brother and call him the Dragon of the West, the once great General Iroh. The Earth Kingdom soldiers take Iroh as their prisoner. They literally catch him with his pants down. Literally. It's great. (laughs) I like how they do this like little earthbending thing where they like imprison him essentially um, with like, like, I don't even know how to put it. They literally take the earth and they make it knives that are pointing at his, his neck and they pretty much just ruin the hot spring for him. Yeah. Yeah. They like bend the earth around him to almost create like a, a pointy cage. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, not only is he, he, Cannot be comfortable in any way, shape, or form. Period. Yeah. His water's gone. The vole's gone. His pants are gone. It's all gone. Everything's gone. (laughs) Well, the other really thing that's interesting, too, is they actually referred to him as his wartime nickname, which I thought was really cool. The Dragon of the West. And um, we knew that Iroh was a general, but we didn't know, like, what the extent of that was. Because it's very possible that, like, nepotism is involved, where... His brother's like, yeah, yeah, I know you. You're not going to do anything. So you could just be a general and I don't have to worry about you stabbing me in the back or anything like that. But it's Mm -hmm. does not appear to be the case so far. No, he was great. He was once great. And he earned a title, which I cannot wait to explore more in future episodes. Yes. Back in the Earth Kingdom village, Aang tries to get the attention of Heibai, but doesn't quite know how to do so. So he ends up just kind of wandering the streets, yelling for the spirit to come and talk to him. This whole thing doesn't sit right with Sokka and notes that Aang shouldn't be out there uh, alone to fight the monster. The sun sets and Aang yells into the woods surrounding the village. I hereby ask you to please leave this village in peace. And then spins his staff over his head. Like he does this weird <laughs> like airbending flex. It's not really a flex. Yeah. He's just like, I can do this. So like, and then, and then slams it on the ground, kind of like um, Gandalf. Like a Gandalf it's like a flourish. Move. Yeah. He does like a flourish, then a slam, right? And then it, nothing seems to really happen. So Aang kind of just thinks he did his job and that it worked and Hebei is not going to show up now. So he just is kind of like, all right, cool. And just turns around and, and walks away. Meanwhile, Hebei makes his appearance and is just quietly stalking Aang into the village. Yeah. And Hebei looks creepy, too. He does. I mean... His design, I found out, was actually inspired by the angels in Neon Genesis Evangelion. Really? Um, yeah. I got so, a big Miyazaki vibe off of it, personally. That too. Yeah. I also felt like um, it reminds me a lot of the hollow design in Bleach. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that too. Yeah. Yeah. The whole episode, I was just like, oh, it's like a Miyazaki thing. Like that was like yeah. the big vibe I got <laughs> off of it. But it's interesting to know like where the actual inspiration came from. Hearing the heavy breathing of the black and white spirit, Aang tries to introduce himself as the avatar and that he would like to help. Heibai ignores Aang and starts to destroy the village, stomping on houses, uppercutting water towers and using, I know it's like energy beams, but I call it Godzilla breath because like, let's call a spade a spade <laughs> on this one. I like it. And decimates even more buildings with it. The villagers comment on how Aang's methods are unusual. Sokka wants to jump in and help his friend, but is told to sit tight by the villagers and his sister. While pummeling yet another building, Aang pleads with the spirit to stop destroying things and listen to what Aang has to say. He tries to appeal to the spirit by saying that he is just trying to do his job as the spirit bridge. 
and then politely asked the spirit to turn around one final time. When all else fails and commands Havi to turn around immediately, this seems to get the angry spirit's attention, who then immediately retorts uh, by backhanding Aang, sending him flying about a block away. Ouch. Yeah. Seeing this, Sokka jumps into battle and throws his boomerang at the spirit, which bounces off his butt and makes a funny noise. Pointing that out mm-hmm. for you guys. Uh, he does the whole <laughs> thing like... Was it a bonk? It was... Uh, was it a bonk? I forget. It was a funny noise. I remember that. It was off his butt. I remember that too. Or is it like one of those um, like squeaky toy sounds? I think it was that, like, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it was It was goofy as heck. It was like, he does his big, like, hey, you, throws the boomerang as hard as he can, and they didn't even do the the um, the courtesy of making it an action shot. It just looks like a really weak throw, and just like, <laughs> yeah. off the butt. <laughs> it's so bad. Aang tells Sokka to go back, but Sokka assures his friend that they'll fight the spirit together. Aang does not want to fight the spirit. So this is something that gets cut off, but I think his intention was Aang says, like, I don't, I don't want to fight the spirit unless it's absolutely necessary. But before he could finish it, he get, literally gets to, I don't want to fight. Heibai snatches up Sokka and disappears into the woods, and Aang follows on his glider. Meanwhile, Zuko returns to collect his uncle at the hot spring, but discovers that the hot spring has been destroyed by Iroh's encounter with the Earth Kingdom and, or the Earth Kingdom army, I should say, and realizes that his uncle has been captured by Earthbenders. And he comes to that realization because they're like, oh, it looks like the hot spring just got like, you know, like it was a rock slide. And Zuko's like, this is uphill. Rocks don't slide uphill unless it's Earthbenders. So we get like a little bit of his, like, we know he's smart, but it's just like another little, like, little reassurance of like, hey, Zuko isn't just angry all the time. He knows what he's talking about. Zuko is a regular Sherlock. Yes. I wonder when he gets to go to his mind palace and if it's just the avatar getting punched over and over again in his mind. Oh my God. <laughs> Aang tries to save Sokka as a chase ensues. Aang is nearly able to grab his friend's hand, but is not fast enough as Sokka and Heibai disappear right in front of the avatar. The sudden event causes the air around Aang to become out of balance and throws Aang to the ground in front of a statue of a bear towering, towering over smaller bears arranged in a circular pattern. He is knocked unconscious. I thought it was interesting that the whole disappearing into the um, the spirit world kind of like throws his air bending off a bit. Yeah, I couldn't tell if it was him losing balance, so to speak, on his air glider and then like kind of tumbling um, or if it was something about the air itself, maybe um, kind of like a vacuum type of deal where once that portal closed, it like threw or sucked like the air out from under his glider or something. Yeah. Like for me, it was, especially with what we learned a little bit later for me, my first thought was like, you know, when you're driving down the highway and if you are behind a truck, you don't have to actually accelerate because like the, the, the velocity or whatever of the truck will actually like help like the, the wind or whatever. It's sciencey. I don't remember. 100%. Yeah. What is that term? It's called um, a tailwind. Yes. So like the tailwind will like actually like guide you through it. Like you could just kind of relax a little bit. So I wondered if it was something like that or if it was something where all of a sudden all of the air just leaves that for a little bit because we learn that this, there might not be elements in the spirit world as we know. Them. Yeah. 
Oh, I like that. I like both theories. I'm leaning towards the first one just because yeah. Hebai is so big. Yeah. So he is kind of like a semi truck and yeah. Aang's gliding behind him. And then all of a sudden he's not there anymore. And so like the air currents either shift or um, move in some other big way that will like throw him off. Yeah, that that was my first thought as well. So uh, Aang wakes up later that night with the realization that he's failed not only his friend, but the village as well. We rejoin a fairly naked Uncle Iroh as he is bound by chains, a prisoner of the Earth Kingdom army. He asks, where are you taking me? To which the, the soldier replies, we're taking you to face justice. This cap, it was, it was, it's the captain, not the soldier. Sorry. This captain is just like full of one liners. Yes, he is. Like he just can't answer anything directly. It's actually kind of funny when you like look at it. It's like a one liner generator. He really is. I feel like he's just like sits there and thinks about it. I feel like nothing really happens where he's stationed. So he just thinks of one liners all the time. <laughs> um, Quick note about what they're writing. Yes. So we've talked about animals in the Avatar world before, and we see here basically the Avatar version of the Chocobo. Yep. They are riding ostrich horses, which are a domesticated animal used frequently for transportation and cavalry mounts in the Earth Kingdom and the Fire Nation. So I I had like a geek out moment because even though they look very much like ostriches mixed with horses, so it has like that equine influence. I was like, Chocobo. <laughs> they're not as cute as Chocobos, though. No, they're like brown, too. You yeah. know, not a bright, happy yellow, but... <laughs> Iroh asks the guard to elaborate further and wants to know exactly where he is being taken. The soldier replies that Iroh should be quite familiar with the location as he once laid siege to it for 600 days. Iroh recognizes the description immediately as the great city of Ba Sing Se, which also has a great song that we'll learn to that we'll learn. Soon <laughs> I was enough. just thinking about that. <laughs> The soldier smirks and reminds Iroh that the city was still able to best him even after 600 days. And Iroh acknowledges his defeat. So here's the thing. He says this, he delivers this line. And if you watch him deliver it, he seems kind of defeated. But if you close your eyes, this is what happens when I watch an episode five times. I close my eyes in parts. His his tone is almost happy about it. Oh. Like he almost has like a, ah, bossing say which I found very interesting for the voice actor to kind of deliver the line that way. Ooh, I like that. Especially partnering with the, the song about passing say that he likes to sing. Yes. <laughs> I was just like, so, he's, so there's something nostalgic about it. For yes. Him. Yes. Which I thought was a very interesting choice. Uh, so yeah. So he acknowledges his defeat and mentions that after 600 days, he and his men were tired and homesick. So he almost goes like a, yeah, you know, we let you win kind of deal like he's kind of a sore winner in that regard <laughs> Iroh lets out a big yawn and falls asleep on the I called it a horse thing whatever but <laughs> horse thing was, whatever the horse thing whatever in <laughs> my notes horse. on the ostrich horse uh, and falls off making a large thud his captors pick him up and don't notice the the flip-flop that Iroh dropped or sandal if you want to be more technical and classier yeah that Iroh dropped. sandal in this world I like saying also, flip-flop though or flippy floppy flippy floppy I've never <laughs> heard that before <laughs> okay um let's also make a note of this let's add some quotation marks around fell asleep oh yes yeah he's because it as we know he's doing the Iroh yeah. where he's he's faking it yep 
Yeah, he's 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 being like the drunken master at this point. So yeah. he like makes this big spectacle of the yawn. And he's like, oh, you know, I think he even says something before he goes, yeah, we were homesick and tired. Speaking of tired, man, am I pooped? And like does yeah. this whole big <laughs> yawn. Um, you see his sandal fall off and you like the camera like really pans in slowly to it. And it's kind of like, a, OK, this is a breadcrumb trail for his nephew. Mm. And then he smirks Then he does a nice little Iro smirk. Back in Senlin Village, Katara sits at the front gate waiting for her brother and her friend to return. Um, the old wanderer who initially asked for the team's help tries to comfort Katara, which doesn't seem to work. Aang walks slowly out of the woods and admits to Katara that Sokka has been lost, but the words seem to fall on deaf ears as Aang realizes that she can't hear him and he's in the spirit world. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, bam, bam. It's one of those really cool moments where they play with the color scheme a lot. So it's nighttime. Yeah. Everything's really blue and all that. So he uh, comes out of the woods and you know, you realize kind of that like Katara's not all blue and that he is. And then all of a sudden he's see through and he's like, oh my goodness, I'm here. Yep. I'm where I wanted to be. I need to talk about Appa here. Yes. Because in that scene when he, when Aang is trying to get Katara's attention and then realizes that he's in the spirit world. Appa comes over and like huffs at Katara because he's upset about Aang being gone, yeah. which is so sweet. This is also where Aang realizes that uh, Appa can't see him either. And I need I need to derail for like just a minute. Can mm-hmm. I tell you about something from my my childhood? Yes, please. No, okay. you can't. You don't have your own podcast on this. You can't do that. <laughs> yes, Absolutely. The whole concept between Aang and Appa being like a bonded pair because he, because Appa's like his spirit guide just mm-hmm. as Fang is Roku's spirit guide. The whole bonded pair concept reminds me of one of my favorite series as a, a little kid, The Unicorns of Balinor. Which I have no idea what that is. <laughs> I am not surprised. <laughs> it's a Scholastic classic. I bought oh. it at the Scholastic Fair. And I can tell you, it's actually held up very well. It's a very well-written series. I read it recently. But the tragedy of The Unicorns of Balinor is it was never finished. Oh, no. They stopped publishing it at book eight out of nine. What? And it has been a sore spot on my heart ever since. So if Mary Stanton, for any reason whatsoever, is listening to this podcast, I I need to tell you, I'm very upset with you. I need to know what happened. Well, just finish it. I know. Why it's didn't she book. finish it? I've scoured the internet. She hasn't done any interviews where she tells us how the series concludes. And I'm telling you, this is like, we get to the very end of Avatar. Aang is about to fight the Fire Lord. Sozin's Comet is on the horizon. And then it stops. And we have no idea what happens. That is what happened to me. That's terrible. In the Unicorns of Balinor series. So anyway... I'm very upset about that. I will forever be upset about that. Um, If anyone listening has read that series, I am in solidarity with you. But the whole concept of bonded animal and human pairs has been something that I love because of that series. Uh, I'm upset for you. Thank you. That's terrible. That's a horrible thing to do to someone. Uh, Prince Zuko finds the drop sandal of his uncle Iroh, sniffs it, immediately finds the scent unpleasant why would he do that he's a hunter man at least he didn't taste it that would have been weird (laughs) (laughs) and then he does this like great this like overly animated cringe like yeah and then he's like yep that's uh that's uncle iroh all right and then continues his search 
the next thing I thought was very sad. So Katara is sleeping while resting against the, um, I guess the gate or like against the gate post of this, of Senlin village and kind of knowing that Katara can't hear him. Aang sits next to Katara and lets her know that he will figure out a way to fix all of this, which again, I've, I almost didn't make this note, but I thought it was very much his personality of even though someone can't hear him and he has no actual effect on that individual, he still tries to comfort them. Right. Yeah. Which was very telling. This is when Appa walks up to Katara. um, And this is also a big Katara moment as well, uh, because even though she's distressed about Aang and Sokka being like missing, she throws on like a mom persona almost and just kind of like collects herself. And you couldn't even tell that she was like sad um, just moments before. So, and you know, maybe they'll come back with moon peaches. You never know. So, Oh, I know she said that. (laughs) It's so cute. So I, that was, that was a scene that I almost didn't note. And then I was on my third rewatch and i was like no this is like super important not for the story but for the characters in and of himself and again something that did not have to be included by the writers of the show at all but it just kind of furthers the emotional impact that they have on each other and that even their supporting cast has so mm-hmm. not knowing what to do next ang yells out to avatar roku for help moments later a dragon flies full speed towards ang who tries to flee on his glider, only to realize that there is no airbending in the spirit world. The dragon fast approaches Aang and reveals itself to be Fang, the animal guide of Avatar Roku. Aang asks the dragon if there is some way for him to talk to Roku and is invited to jump on the dragon's back. So this is what I was talking about, where like I thought that maybe Heibai disappearing into the spirit world sucked up the air like maybe like a little gap where it's like I bleed it in, sucked it up, no more air, no more air bending for that one moment. And that's what threw him off balance. Oh, I see. That's what I was. Well, I guess it. Oh, actually, no, that's a good point because it does depend on when exactly Aang passes over to the spirit world because he isn't blue until he comes back to Senlin village, but he woke up next to the Heibai statue and was in the spirit world. So it could have been that moment. He could have passed over right then. And it's yeah. true. You cannot bend in the spirit world. So maybe that's what threw him off his glider. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just perceiving it as all one fluid movement. And we're seeing it through his perspective versus yeah. like what actually happened, where it was probably a little more graceful <laughs> based on <Yeah>. later <laughs> events. Uh, okay. So, but you know, speaking of spirited away. Yes. Aang just flew off on a blue dragon. (laughs) Oh my God, he did. Meanwhile, Iroh is still a prisoner of the Earth Kingdom army and notices. So this is the really cool thing. He notices Fang and Aang. Fang, can I call it Fang? And everyone just knows that I have two A's in (laughs) there. Fang. Fang. And notices Fang soar past them. Iroh notices that nobody else seems to notice this. So he draws no further attention to it. They basically are like, what's wrong? And he goes... Oh, nothing. Except, you know what? Now that you mention it, these shackles and handcuffs are too loose. Too loose? That's absurd. No one ever complains about it being too loose. So Uncle, that's my reenactment. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uncle basically complains that his shackles are too loose. 
gets the soldiers to try to tighten them. And when they get closer, Iroh d- like, does this deep inhale and then exhale, and his shackles immediately burn red hot, which burns one of the guards' hands, and he uses this like moment to try to escape. Iroh is such a beast. He is so amazing. He does this with his hands and body bound. He bended with his breath. Like, yeah. what the heck? As we know, as watching from earlier episodes, firebending is all about movement. And Iroh's like, I don't need any of those lessons because I'm just the man. And I'm a dragon <laughs> and I can breathe fire. So that's yes. what I do with my life. I need I need to talk about him being able to see Fang. Yes. Because please. as we're seeing with everyone else, that everyone else can't see these spirits flying past. But for some very interesting reason, uh, Iroh does. Mm-hmm. And so um I did some research and according to the Avatar Wiki, travel between the physical and spirit worlds is actually very rare. It's extremely difficult for any human other than the Avatar, who is obviously the bridge between the two worlds, to enter the spirit world. And even then, only their spirit can cross over. So, I mean, I guess this explains why you can't bend in the spirit world because you actually don't have a physical body there. It's just your spirit. Um, But there are only a few known ways for humans other than the Avatar to enter the spirit world. We just saw one. They can be carried in by a spirit, just like Hebei did with Sokka. Um, and then the other way is enlightened individuals can cross over through meditation. So we may have just seen a little hint mm-hmm. about what Iroh uh, is capable of because it's a very rare thing for humans to be sensitive or to see the spirit world, but mm-hmm. apparently Iroh does. I like how he took notice of it, but wasn't overly surprised about it either. That I think is very telling. Yeah. So yeah, so his escape is he just kind of like rolls downhill is his big plan. Aang is brought. So like we, we change our focus from Iroh to Aang and Aang is brought to a tower in the fire nation that rests near an active volcano. At the top of the tower rests a statue of Roku. Aang doesn't understand how he's supposed to commune with Roku, or the statue of Roku, I should say. And the dragon shows Aang a vision of a comet, and then shows Aang when he can talk to Roku. So he gets his uh, Fu Manchu whisker, and it does this yes. like weird, like, like it's like a noodle with bones in it. Like it's just kind of like it's very controlled. And just like talking about the little wiggle. Yeah. Does this like little wiggle? I'm doing like a hand motion as if everyone who's listening to this can actually see it. Um, (laughs) I did too. (laughs) But yeah, and it goes right on his like forehead and then he shows him visions. The Fang never talks to him directly. He just shows him what he needs to know. Yeah. Like telepathy or something. Yeah. And I I do love how um, they played this out actually, because obviously Fang is only communicating in, in images but Aang was able to piece it together and then almost translate for the the viewer because mm-hmm. we're seeing this sanctuary and the statue of Roku in this ornate like emblem on the floor with Chinese characters. So you don't really know what's going on. You see this light like shooting across the room. And so he's like, oh, it's a calendar. And this means I'll be able to talk to Roku on the solstice. 
And so once you like hear it spoken out loud, you're like, oh, all of these visual clues totally make sense now. For me, it's a, it's a mechanic that like Blue's Clues uses where it's like Blue's Clues <laughs> yeah. uses. That's quite a sentence where it's just like, hey, kids, what is this? And then you wait and it's like a calendar. That's right. Except for it's like a lot more difficult clues. Like it definitely yeah. gives me that kind of <laughs> like, OK, everyone's on the same page. This is all this is a calendar. Solstice is when you can talk to Roku. Cool. So Aang tells the dragon that he can't wait for the solstice because he has to save his friend. So Fang seems pretty like understanding of that. And they immediately just like rush back to Senlin. Back to Iroh. This is like the whole episode. <laughs> I was like, okay, back to Iroh. Ping pong, ping pong. Ping, yeah, that's what it felt like. The He's rolling downhill. The soldiers are chasing him. They The soldiers cause a rock slide, which manages to catch Iroh. And one soldier notes that Iroh is too dangerous and he cannot be carried to the capital. The captain agrees with the soldier and notes that Iroh must be dealt with immediately and severely, which is not great. It's the only that does direct not sound good. Not only doesn't sound good. That's the only direct answer that the captain ever gives in this episode. Yeah. He's like, yes, I agree. We have to do this. It's like, oh, geez, it's not great. Katara and Appa fly over the forest and are looking for any sign of Sokka and Aang. But hope seems to be dwindling in the pair. Meanwhile, Zuko is still looking for his uncle until his gaze is brought upon the sky where he sees the flying bison and realizes he could take the avatar now. He looks back at the ground and sees the tracks of the Earth Kingdom's What'd you call them? I, I still call them horse thingies. Ostrich horses. I'm going to change my notes now. Okay. Ostrich <laughs> horses. <laughs> and then looks back at the sky. The Aang rush into the dead scar of the forest. And Aang sees his body sitting on top of the bear's, the bear statue's head in a trance. And he, it almost has that like stereotypical um, meditation pose where his mm -hmm. legs are crossed and he's sitting upright. And his head is down. They fly full speed at the statue and Aang is returned into his body. Aang jumps off of the statue and looks at it almost with a new understanding. He then opens his glider and flies off to Senlin village where he admits he lost Sokka to Katara as Senlin falls back into darkness. Or if you want to be less dramatic as day turns into night. But I like being <laughs> dramatic. Back with our favorite prisoner, Iroh has been thrown over a boulder with his hands outstretched in front of him, still shackled. It becomes apparent that the soldiers intend to crush his hands with the giant boulder looming over him. Oh my God, that's dark. Dramatic. Like, I, I thought I was being dramatic with falling into darkness. They're just like, hey, <laughs> let's just get rid of his hands. Although not too bright because he can do it without his hands. We yeah, just kind of saw that. They seem to have forgotten that. But I mean, <laughs> the the captain guy saying out loud, these dangerous hands must be crushed yes. and then bending a giant boulder over his outstretched hands. I mean, holy crap. Yeah, it, it, it got real adult real quickly with that punishment. Yeah. Um, oh, though, yeah. to be fair, I feel like that's the only really uh, dark, immature element in this episode and everything else is like pretty fun which kind of goes back to what we talked about at the very beginning of the podcast and how um, 
they're handling these mature themes in like almost sandwiched between fun kiddish moments, similar mm-hmm. to what they did in Clone Wars and those other shows you were mentioning. Yeah. Um, I feel like this is a perfect example of that. I agree. Yeah. So like, I think at this point with the characters, they kind of know, not that they didn't know what they were doing before, but they, I think they know that the story of Iroh and Zuko are going to appeal to a older audience, whereas Ang, Katara and Sokka might not appeal to that same audience. So they can take Ooh, that chance thought. and make things a little darker, a little more uh, mature for, for Iroh and Zuko, whereas they can kind of get away with it by saying like, Oh yeah, but look at like, Sokka throwing a boomerang at a spirit's butt. Yeah. Like, it's fine. We still got butt jokes in there. It's cool. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which works because Zuko's the oldest, you know, main character who's a kid. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And also, Uncle is the only regular adult that is in the show. I should say series regular. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, you're right. Out of the adult cast, members we see him the most mm-hmm. yeah everyone else just rotates mm-hmm. through right before the the captain can drop the boulder on iroh zuko comes to the rescue and the prince kicks the boulder out of the way breaks his uncle's shackles with the back of his heel which is super impressive yes it is together the two are able to take down the soldiers there's a brief moment of gratitude and happiness between uncle and nephew as zuko then pleads with his uncle to please Put on some clothes. So again, very similar to the Agni Kai episode where they have this moment of like, thank you. Like the, you know, like this, this touching moment, they have to infuse humor into it because that's the relationship between Zuko and Iroh. The banter between them is so good. Like, uh, Iroh talking about his form, Mm -hmm. um, talking about how the earthbenders are outmatched and then Zuko asking her to put the clothes on. I mean, this is a great example of skilled characterization within an action scene. Mm -hmm. Um, I know Marvel does this really well where in the downbeats in between action sequences, they'll have moments of characterization that reflect the character. So those one-liners, those quick interactions that really cement either relationships or characterization. So I loved this scene. Yes. And me too. And, the action alone, just the the clever use of the environment was really cool, too. So Iroh uses the chains that are still attached to his wrist, although it's broken so he can move a little more freely, uses them as weapons, which is really good improvisation. Yes. Which I really appreciated. And we see um, something very interesting about Zuko's fighting style where a movement is never wasted. So he does this. Um, he dodges uh, uh, like an earthbender's attack. And then does this like sweep kick that goes swiftly into firebending to take out another guard Ooh, yeah. or another um, soldier. So you really get to see more of uh, Zuko's control over his actions and how strategic he is when fighting. Going back to Senlin, Aang waits for Heibai to show up again. When the spirit does, Aang knows what he must do and immediately jumps into action, touching the forehead of the spirit monster and realizes that Heibai is the spirit of the broken forest, the bear statue and the scar, and understands that the spirit is angry because the forest has been burned down. Aang explains that the forest can and will return using what Katara had taught him about acorns, about you. I am the symbol of hope. (laughs) The spirit understands and reverts to its panda form and returns to the woods calmly, leaving a bamboo grove in its wake. 
every villager that has been kidnapped by the spirit then walks out of the grove, including Sokka, with seemingly no recollection of what happened. Katara tells Sokka that he's been in the spirit world for over 24 hours and asks how he's feeling, to which Sokka says, like I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and to which I say, there's no time for bathroom now. You're in war. Oh Sokka. my God. <laughs> Using his words against him. Exactly. So good. But also remember that listeners, that line is going to come up later. The villagers of Senlin thank the avatar and Sokka says something along the lines of, you could really thank us by giving us some stuff. Katara's is like, that's rude. And Sokka's like, what? We need stuff. <laughs> yeah. Actually, no, props to him. Yeah. I mean, for requesting a reasonable reward for their services. Because, yeah, Team Avatar needs provisions if they're going to continue on this quest. The villagers agree. They're like, yeah, absolutely. You know, um, t- here's what we can give you. Katara tells Aang how proud she is of him and that she knew he could do it. Aang then thinks of the vision of the comet and tells his friends that he needs to go back to the statue of Roku by the solstice, which is less than 24 hours away. The only problem is the statue is in the Fire Nation. Oof. Big oof. And that's the episode. Part one, the winter solstice. With all that being said, Acorn, thinking about all of the characters that we got to see, got to meet, who would you say is the MVP of this episode? You no, know, no, I got, I got to say Iroh. Yeah. Why? Yeah. <laughs> because he, he's like the perfect combination of his character in this episode. He's the laid back, relaxed uncle. He's the, um, resourceful and powerful bender. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he's also the comic relief. Yep. So I feel like even though he wasn't like the main focus of this story, every time we cut over to him, it was just, it was just good fun. Yeah. We always had something good to experience with him. Yeah. He was my MVP as well, but I do have backups just in case. Uh, I think the, my next MVP would be Sokka. Because of how like brave he is in the face of unknown of unknown danger, so he can we yeah can we do matching MVPs? That's the first time it's happened, right? It is, yeah. Let's let's remember that. I don't say like I feel like it's gonna happen again. Like this episode was very specifically Iro. Like Iro, just you see more of his past. We see all the different shades of his personality. We see basically everything we need to know about Iroh and have already known about him. And he's fantastic. But I think like if you look, it's very subtle. But if you look at Sokka, he is also like he doesn't have any powers. He has a boomerang. He uses the only tool that he has to try to help his friend where everyone else is hiding in a house with the shades closed, essentially. Mm-hmm. And it does cost him. He doesn't remember what it costs him, but it costs him a day of his life that he can't recall and he has and he could have been his life he could have been stuck in there forever but he wasn't thinking about that he was just thinking about helping his friend because he shouldn't be out there alone so that is true that is that. very sweet that is that is Sokka's heart and soul right there yeah that's great and then we did have like i almost wanted to say zuko too but he did wasn't it quite enough for me but he did make the choice of helping his uncle over 
his obsession of cat of catching the avatar which is the first hint that we see of him being like a good person yes and yes, not that moment where he had to choose yeah the very strategic where he's just and that was like we didn't really talk about it too much in the moment but like we're watching these two stories and we know that they're both in the earth kingdom but we don't know how close they are until literally appa is flying over zuko yes and zuko is like he's there he can get the avatar he's caught up in what an episode like last episode that i can remember he was like a half a day away i think we said maybe yeah he found them at the the at the fire nation rig in the middle of the ocean yes like maybe half a day yes that's right imprisoned yeah yeah and now he's like he's caught up like amazing like that just shows his resource his resourcefulness uh he's great tactician like he knows what he's doing but he still chooses his uncle over returning to his family and his father which i found very interesting cool um so now with all the mvps out of the way what do you think the moral of the episode is my moral of the episode is no matter how destroyed no matter how dark there is always hope on the horizon because one acorn can grow into an oak tree. <laughs> I, I had a thought you were going to incorporate that into it somehow. Yeah. The acorn. Yeah. I'm just going to take this moment to thank Nickelodeon for having me on as a guest star this episode. <laughs> what about you? Uh, for me, like, I don't want to rehash an older moral, but it really does reinforce the... Um, just the things aren't quite what they seem. Yeah. Like that, like going back to um, King of Amashu, it really reinforces that where like just take a look at things, not at face value, but take a look deeper. So with like, hey, by this giant four-armed monster, the black and white spirit turns out to be a panda spirit. That was just really angry and his anger contorted it into this monster. Yeah. Yeah. I want to say don't take things at face value and you know, balance will find a way to correct the issue. Because mm-hmm. that's another big thing with this I found is, I, so we had talked about this a little, little bit off off channel, we'll say, or off recording, where I was like, there has to be a reason why they use the panda. It could have been literally anything. The The bear statue looks more like a brown bear or a grizzly bear to me. And yes, you know, what the, the Earth Kingdom is like, of Asian inspiration and they don't really have brown bears that I'm aware of. But I think a lot of it is just, it shows balance between black and white. And that's the avatar not only has to balance the elements, but also balance the connection between the spirit world and the physical world. So I I think that using that spirit specifically as the introduction to the spirit world made a lot of sense. Yeah. The concept of yin and yang. Yes. Yes, exactly. Well, actually, so here's here's a bit of trivia. The black and white Heibai spirit in this episode is aptly named uh, because Hei is the Chinese word for black and Bei is the, or Bai is the, is for white, essentially. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep. Yep. That was really cool. Uh, when Aang is chasing uh, Heibai th- through the forest, Aang is reanimated in CG. Oh, yeah. I've read that. Yeah. I couldn't tell. Like, I was just like, okay, cool. He's just fine. I guess it um, was maybe to fix some sort of frame flow to make it more legible. 
maybe probably but like whenever you see cg in like 2d animation it's very obvious and for me it wasn't yeah true which is really cool oh and here's here's the interesting here's an interesting little it's a goof but it's not a goof in the episode the original finnish name of this episode translates to solstice but in the dvd release it was mistakenly named equinox Oh, interesting. Which is very interesting, I thought. That is very interesting. I'm not going to try to read the Finnish words for it because we all know I'm not great with pronunciation. So we'll just leave that at that. But those are those are all like the little trivia bits that I found for this episode, which is pretty um, cool. Yeah, that's a big goof because equinoxes and solstices are at completely different times of the year. And with that, that is going to be officially all of the time that we have for this week's episode. Uh, again, we'd like to just take a moment to thank everyone for continuing to join us through our discussions um, and for all of the love and support that we've seen through the internet and all of the um, positive and constructive feedback that we've gotten. Remember, if you want to support Avatar the podcast, the best way to do it right now is to tell all your friends about it and leave a five-star rating along with a written review. And as a reminder, not that you need it because we did it in this episode, every five-star written review will be read on the show. And that's the same for anyone who tweets directly at us at podcast avatar and who anyone who wants to send us an email as well. Avatar, the podcast at gmail.com next time on avatar, the podcast, the most effective way to clean your fire nation ship of old junk. Just slide it on fire and catapult it out of your enemy. The avatar, the avatar and trick a door into thinking you're a firebender with five easy steps so easy all this and more next time on avatar, avatar the, the podcast. podcast that was terrible <laughs>